Strangeology Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Ford, and this is your place to explore the weird, strange, and unexplained. From cryptids and creatures, the paranormal, aliens and UFOs, forbidden knowledge, ancient mysteries, conspiracies, and more. Hey all, and welcome back to the show. It has been a minute, and thank you all for being so patient, as it was not my intention to take this long after the holidays to finish this episode for the season three finale. Basically, the last month, my whole household has been sick on and off every other week, coupled with snow days and my partner recovering from shoulder surgery in mid-December and then on New Year's Day, throwing her back out with four slipped discs. So it's been a very difficult time to dedicate the amount of time needed to get all the research done for this episode and do it right. It's been a tough balance. But if you're ever wondering where I am, if I haven't posted a new episode in a while, always make sure to check out my social media, especially Instagram. That's always kind of my main base of operations on social media. I still have had some time to make some short form video content over there. And I've actually been working my way through doing a cryptids and mythological creatures and legends iceberg challenge for the past month and a half or so, which has been a lot of fun and people seem to be into, but just not enough time to dedicate for a whole deep dive episode. But now here we are and it's going to be good. But anyway, 2024 seems to be starting off with a lot of weird happenings and one that I've had some people request that I cover on the podcast for a brief moment at least. But you've probably heard about it. I covered it briefly over on my Instagram and my TikTok. But this is the alleged Miami mall aliens incident that happened on New Year's Day. And in case you missed it, there is this open air mall slash marketplace in downtown Miami called the Bayside Marketplace. And on the evening of January 1st, around 8.30 p.m., there was this mass incident that sparked this huge police response. And you can see videos online where there are over 60 Police cruisers, over 100 cops surrounding the marketplace. It's just totally wild. This scene like straight out of a movie. The official explanation was that a bunch of teenagers were basically causing a ruckus, some getting into brawls, setting off fireworks and looting stores. And some people thought the fireworks going off were gunshots. So people started to call the cops and with having a suspicion of a potential mass shooting event happening. That was the explanation as to what triggered such a massive response. And ultimately, in the end, it was said that four teenagers were arrested. Seems pretty cut and dry, right? Well, not too long after some of the people who were there They started to post on social media saying that that's not what really happened and there was a cover up going on. 
these people were claiming that strange, shadowy, alien type or interdimensional type beings started showing up at the mall and people started to panic and started running and it just turned into this scene of utter chaos. They were said to be somewhere between seven to ten feet tall, sort of humanoid shape, but also kind of nebulous, and that they would kind of jump in and out of existence and teleport around and get in people's faces. Some were slinging around the term the Nephilim for these things, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But people were also saying that the power to the marketplace had been cut and there was a no-fly zone established above the marketplace with the only authorized vehicles to be flying over it were police choppers. And there was also this rumor that the airport in Miami was also shut down for a brief period of time as well. And people thought it may have been connected with this event at the Bayside Marketplace. It's all pretty interesting. And one of the released videos from a police chopper seemed to show this strange, tall-looking being moving weirdly around the marketplace and actually in front of a lot of police cruisers. Although it's hard to tell what it was exactly, my guess was low quality and compression coupled with low lighting and the zoom made a distorted image showing the figure or multiple figures in it. Most people were saying that this thing that was moving around that looked kind of suspicious was likely just a group of people, like two to three people walking along, which makes sense to me. I think that's probably the likely case for that particular footage. Now, after a couple more days, some additional people on TikTok and Instagram started making posts saying that they were there, they witnessed these tall beings going around, but they weren't really interacting with people. They just seemed like they were kind of lost and trying to go back to wherever they came from. Naturally, people were saying things like, well, everyone has a camera phone these days. Why is there no video of these things? Which is a good question. Well, according to some of these witnesses, people's electronics started to glitch out. People would try to take videos or photos and their phones would just stop working. There was also people saying that police were going up to people who were trying to leave the area who had their phones that were working, but the police were stopping them and telling them that they needed to delete any photos or videos that they had from that evening. There was some really blurry video that did get posted where it seemed to show these tall, shadowy figures, but obviously it could be AI or CGI or, or something like that. It's not entirely convincing. And someone else found that the coordinates of the Bayside Marketplace when put into Google Maps in reverse somehow, actually gives you coordinates for a location in Antarctica. So some were bringing in the alien base in Antarctica conspiracy theory. 
and that the aliens were trying to get there, but they punched in their coordinates wrong. <laughs> but one of the most interesting claims that I saw came from this guy who said that he saw a small group of kids that whipped out this device in the middle of the marketplace that apparently opened up this interdimensional portal. It was said to be kind of like a spirit box like device or something that looked like an old DVD or VHS player. And when it was activated, it started glowing and emanating out something that looked like this force field that was warping and distorting the air around it. And that's when some figures started coming out of this glowing portal thing and people in the media area started panicking and running. And that would suggest something more interdimensional versus extraterrestrial, I would think. And there was even another person that I saw that posted a TikTok whose father is a cop on the Miami police force. And he recorded this phone call asking about the incident, if he knew anything. And his dad basically said he's not allowed to talk about it, which is interesting. Ultimately, it seems like this case might just be mass hysteria. It all sounds pretty far-fetched, but perhaps this is, you know, a case of people trying to turn this whole event into something it's not. Maybe the cover story is what it is. I can't say for sure. I would love for it to be interdimensional beings or aliens, but you always have to take a look at these stories with a grain of salt. And then before we move on from strange news here, right after this, Jeremy Corbell released the jellyfish UFO video, which was super interesting. I also did a quick covering of that over on social media, where basically this strange UAP was filmed on the infrared camera on a weapons platform in Iraq. And I believe it was back in 2018. And it shows this strange looking thing that someone eventually did a kind of AI rendering of it. And it made it kind of look like there was an alien gray piloting this mech suit. And apparently we didn't get to see this part of the footage. It wasn't released as far as I know at this point, but apparently this object went over a U.S. military installation and then eventually went over open water and then went underwater for about 17 minutes, 18 minutes or so, and then came back up and then shot off into the sky really fast at a 45 degree angle. If that part was released, it would be much more believable that it was some kind of UAP of a non-human intelligence piloting the thing. But it's, it's not entirely convincing that it's, it's uh, something otherworldly. It looks strange for sure. There are skeptics out there like Mick West who think it's just party balloons. Could be. I don't know for sure. I don't really buy that, but we'll see. We'll see how that develops. But anyway, 
that's the weird news for the month. Before I get started with the finale episode today, and I know this intro is getting a little bit long, sorry guys, but before I get started, I wanted to give a big welcome to new Patreon members Dave and Carlos S. Thank you guys so much for joining the Patreon and for your support. If you out there want to support what I do with Strangeology, one way to do it is to become a member of my Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash strangeology. I've got a number of tiers with different benefits, all starting at as little as $1 per month. Some of the perks include shoutouts, voting power on topics that I'll cover, behind the scenes looks at what I do, ad free episodes, and early access to new episodes as well, along with access to Strangeology Beyond, the episode extension of the show, which is only for members, and it's sometimes a whole other episode or topic altogether. There's also exclusive merch and discounts to my merch shop and even a t-shirt of the month club. It's a great time, and I hope to see you there. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash strangeology. Okay, well, why don't we get this one started? This is the season three finale of the Strangeology podcast. So I wanted to go with something big and also a story that's really been on a lot of people's minds recently. So that's right. This is the story behind the infamous Virginia incident of Brazil. So sit back, relax, grab a snack or a beverage and strap in because this is a wild and fascinating case. Let's go. Imagine, if you will, a small Brazilian city plunged into a profound mystery that captivated the whole world. This is the story of the Virginia incident, full of terrifying encounters with otherworldly beings, a crashed UFO, death, and whispers of a government cover-up to make the coverage of this event go away. I'll be unraveling the enigmatic layers of Brazil's biggest alien and UFO case out there, and frankly, one of the world's biggest cases to get to the heart of what really happened. Now, this story has been eating away at me for a long time. I remember in the mid to late 1990s, watching sightings shortly after this incident happened and seeing the artist renditions of these strange alien creatures that were spotted on the ground in Brazil. A lot of people show up in my comment sections and are, are always like, why is it always the USA that gets the alien stuff? Why never anywhere else? Well, this one is for those people because there are countless UFO and alien encounters all over the world and some pretty high profile ones like this. And some even call Brazil the land of UFOs. So strap in. Before we get into the story of Virginia, I wanna go over some events that have led up to this incident in Brazil, which has a very storied history of UFO and UAP encounters. Very shortly after Roswell, which go listen to my deep dive episode about that if you haven't yet. On July 23rd, 1947, Brazil had its very first documented event. And that's not to say that people haven't been seeing things in the sky or 
otherworldly beings well before that. This is just the first one that I could find on record. A topographer named Jose Higgins was working near Sao Paulo. He and several other workers on the work site that they were on started to hear this strange and extremely sharp, high-pitched sound up in the sky. It just came out of nowhere. They looked up, and just a moment later, they witnessed this 30-meter-wide object descending to the ground with some kind of landing gear deployed with curved metal feet. It was described as lens-shaped, which could also mean it was saucer-like. The workers fled, but Higgins stood his ground, observed, and even approached this craft as this bizarre phenomena unfolded. Higgins reported that he saw these two humanoid figures emerge from the craft and could see a third waiting inside. The beings then began to speak to him in a language that he couldn't recognize. They were over six feet tall with these large, round, bald heads and had no facial hair whatsoever. Their eyes were too large and also very round. They appeared to be wearing a kind of transparent bodysuit that went over their heads that was filled with air as it lifted off their body. It also came complete with a metallic-looking backpack. And underneath, they were wearing what appeared to be t-shirts and shorts and sandals, all of which looked really glossy. It basically sounds like a spacesuit, but the whole scene just sounds so bizarre. Now, interestingly, these humanoid beings, while looking distinguishably different from humans, they all looked the same, like they were clones of one another. They attempted to communicate through drawing in the dirt on the ground. They drew their solar system and that their planet was the seventh in orbit around their home star. They spoke words that sounded like Alamo and Orke in reference to the sun and the planet. And then these beings kind of motioned for him to get on their craft. And although Higgins initially agreed, he then realized it might not be such a great idea. So he pulled out a picture of his wife that he kept on his person. They seemed to understand what this meant. And so Higgins was allowed to leave the area and he kind of ducked out of sight into some nearby bushes. And these beings hung around for about another hour before they went back up into their crafts. And just as soon as it had appeared, the craft took off and vanished. Some other notable cases took place 10 years later in 1957, the first of which involved a journalist named Ibrahim Sueji, who received an envelope one day containing a letter and three fragments of metal from unknown origin. The author of the letter explained that he had witnessed a UFO in the sky that exploded, and fragments of this craft had landed on the beach in Ubatuba, which is about 200 26 kilometers or 140 miles from Sao Paulo. He collected the fragments and sent them to Sueji. These were then sent to a lab for testing. And the result? 
Well, they were pure magnesium. Some ufologists believe that the fragments were of extraterrestrial origin, though others think that this particular case was simply a hoax. And then in October of 1957, there is the first documented alien abduction case in the world to receive wide attention. And this is before Betty and Barney Hill, which is interesting. There are a lot of details to this story, but essentially a 23-year-old farmer named Antonio Vilas Boas was working at night plowing the fields to avoid working during the day because the temperatures were ridiculously hot. He suddenly witnessed this red star appear in the sky, but it looked like it was getting larger and closer to him. It turned out that it was this egg-shaped craft with a red light on its front. It then descended to the ground and landed right near him. These beings then came out, and he was pursued by these things. They were these five-foot-tall humanoids. Eventually, they managed to catch him and drag him onto their craft. And just a month later, in November, two guards at the Itapu Fort near Sao Paulo witnessed an unidentified object descending out of the sky near the fort. In that moment, all of the power and emergency backup power to the fort went down. And not only that, but the craft emitted some kind of heat wave, which gave both of these guards moderate burns. And afterwards, the Brazilian Army and the United States Air Force got involved where they interviewed witnesses who saw this UFO. Now, there were several more encounters and sightings that have occurred since, but the biggest one took place in the city of Virginia, in the Brazilian state of Minas Gerais, about 200 miles northeast of Sao Paulo. Virginia's population in the 90s was around 100,000 people, but today it's over 135,000 and is now one of the major centers of commerce along with dairy and coffee production for Brazil and even the world. The terrain in the surrounding area is green rolling hills, peaks and valleys, and lots of farmland. In the 1990s, Virginia was just another city, but one fateful day would forever put this unassuming place on the map of ufology the world over. Early in the morning on January 13, 1996, NORAD, the North American Air Defense Command, based in the U.S., contacted Brazilian Air Defense to inform them that they were tracking 40 unidentified objects over Brazil and that one had entered Earth's atmosphere a couple hundred miles northeast of Sao Paulo, and it looked like it was going to crash. The Brazilian military scrambled jets and soldiers to get out there as soon as possible before any civilians knew what was going on. But their efforts were in vain as multiple people were already able to witness a strange object seen coming out of the sky. Around 1 a.m. on January 13, 1996, farm owners Orlina and Eurico de Fritas heard a strange noise coming from outside. Their cattle herd was disturbed by whatever this sound was and became agitated and started running all over the place. Orlina decided to look out the window to check on the cattle, but what she saw was something straight out of science fiction. 
It was an object in the sky that looked to be about the size of a bus. Its color was gray, and the shape was that of a submarine. It had no running lights and was completely silent. However, it seemed as if it was struggling, as it was spewing out something white. She called for her husband, and they both observed the object slowly putter through the sky for about 40 minutes before it vanished out of sight. Shortly after, in that morning, a local pilot and lightweight plane enthusiast, Carlos de Souza, witnessed something strange descending out of the sky as he was driving his red pickup truck towards Sao Paulo. He first heard a muffled roaring sound and thought it was his truck. He stopped to check his engine, but when he was stepping down from the cab, he noticed this silver cigar-shaped craft in the sky, and it was coming down, fast. It was already low to the ground at only a few hundred feet and losing altitude in an area between Virginia and a nearby city called Trace Corazoes, which was the city he was actually ultimately headed to. Carlos described the craft as having four windows along its side, and he could see that it was damaged with a prominent crack or stress fracture running down the body of it with some kind of white smoke or vapor that was billowing out of it. Carlos jumped back into his truck and followed this thing as it paralleled the highway for about 10 miles. The object then crossed over the east side of the highway and over some nearby mountains, and he could see it take a sharp nosedive down towards the ground, and then it disappeared from view. Carlos searched for 20 minutes to figure out how to get around the mountain it passed over, and he eventually found this dirt road that just so happened to lead to the spot where he saw the craft nosedive into. Carlos then came over a hill and saw the crash site, which was set back from the road by a couple hundred feet. There was gray metallic wreckage spread all over the place, and the military was already there on site with a contingent of over three dozen personnel coupled with nurses, two army trucks, an ambulance, a helicopter, and a few other cars designated for the Brazilian army. It looked like a recovery effort, as he could see soldiers picking up any debris they could find. He didn't know it at the time, and this may be why there was such a quick response from the Brazilian military, but Trace Corosoes was only seven miles away, which is where the ASA army base is located. So Carlos parked his car, got out, and ran into the field where the craft came down. At first, Carlos thought this was just a plane crash, but then he quickly realized that this wasn't the case at all. The smell of ammonia and sulfur permeated the air, and it was so bad that he had to put his shirt over his nose. And even then, the chemicals that were in the air were causing his eyes to burn. Carlos thought that he might be able to help, so he picked up one of the pieces of wreckage, which looked like a flat sheet of aluminum foil, but it was incredibly lightweight. It was almost like it wasn't even there. He crumpled it up and dropped it where it just floated to the ground and to his surprise, 
The second it dropped, it unfolded and returned to the previous shape it was in without any wrinkles or bends in the metal. This sounds a lot like the memory metal from Roswell. Now, army personnel saw him messing around with the debris and ran over to him yelling and started aiming their rifles at him. The soldiers then ordered him to leave the site immediately. And despite his protest and concern that someone may be hurt or dead and that he just wanted to help, they told him that it was none of his business and to get lost. Carlos then got back into his truck and drove off. Eventually, he stopped at a restaurant to defrag about the situation. And after a couple hours, a pair of men with military haircuts but dressed in normal attire, came into the restaurant and started walking towards him. They came up to him and asked him what he had seen and basically was like, I saw everything and know that something's going on. And in a kind of men in black type manner, they told him that he didn't see anything and began to recite various personal details about his life, like where he lives, who he's married to, how many kids he has, basically threatening that bad things will happen if he talks. Now, Carlos de Souza kept his silence for a long time, but not forever, clearly, as he eventually came forward with his story. Now, here's where things will start to take a turn and become more bizarre. A week passes, but on the morning of January 20th, the Virginia Fire Department began receiving calls of a strange animal that had been spotted walking around in the woods between these two neighborhoods. Witnesses and their families didn't know what it was and were scared. Children were also reportedly throwing rocks at it, and whatever this thing was appeared pretty dazed and out of it. Four firefighters arrived and entered this patch of woods where a group of civilians were watching this creature after it had gone down a steep embankment. And so the firemen trekked down after it. Ultimately, they were in the woods for about two hours, chasing this strange being around, and it was all through this really hard-to-navigate terrain. They didn't know what it was, other than it gave off this offensive odor of ammonia and sulfur and made a strange buzzing sound. It was said that eventually the firefighters were able to use a net to capture this thing, and shortly after, a truck from Asa arrived, again, the nearby military base. Witnesses described some soldiers heading into the forest, and shortly after, heard two gunshots. A few minutes later, they came out carrying two large bags. One was motionless, while the other one seemed to be moving around, like there was something that was inside the bag that had been captured and was trying to escape. The bags were then seen being thrown onto an ASA truck, and they drove to the regional hospital in Virginia. But it wasn't over yet. Later that same day, around 3 p.m., two then teenage sisters Liliana Silva, who was 16 at the time, 
and her younger sister, Valkyria Silva, who is 14, along with their older friend and co-worker, Katya Xavier, were walking home from a job doing house cleaning when they witnessed something not of this world. They were on their usual route home, but this day they decided to take a shortcut. While passing a sort of open area, Katya screamed and the Silva sisters both looked in her direction to see what she was startled at. There it was, this small creature that was crouching against a nearby wall. At first, they thought it might have been a kid, but the closer they got to it, they realized that whatever this thing was, it didn't appear to be a human. Its skin looked dark brown and oily or greasy. It was clearly very short, around four to five feet tall, but humanoid with very thin limbs. Katya described it as looking like it was going to pop, which is interesting. It didn't appear that it was doing well. And whatever it was, it had this large head that was too big for its body. It had bulging veins on its shoulders and had a short neck, these large red eyes without pupils, and these three bumps on its head, which have been described as either abscesses or bony protrusions. And like with a lot of other descriptions of alien beings, it had a very small nose and a slit for a mouth. The three girls stared at this being for a few moments and could feel like it was lost and in pain, but eventually they snapped too, thinking this was something they shouldn't be seeing, and booked it out of there as fast as they could. They looked back as they ran away, and sure enough, the creature was still there, crouching against that wall. They ran to the Silva sisters' house and started crying to their mother, Louisa, that they had seen the devil. Their mother then took the girls back to the spot about 25 minutes later to see if this creature was still there, but at that point, it was gone. The only thing that was there was apparently a strange set of footprints along with a dog that was sniffing around the area along with a foul odor that was lingering in the air, which, again, smelled very similar to ammonia and sulfur. Now, Louisa said she couldn't get this smell out of her nose for several days, no matter what she did. There was also a mason worker nearby who had mentioned that firemen came by and took the quote-unquote weird animal away. And it was the Silva sisters' testimony, which is what really catapulted this case into the public and global eye, as the girls were all interviewed and described what they had witnessed that day. Later on, Louisa allegedly was paid a visit by four strange men. They were wearing white and cream-colored suits and were there to propose a deal. Basically, they offered her a large sum of money, tens of thousands of dollars, to say that her girls lied about seeing this alien creature and to 
retract their statements to the press. In addition to that, they would have to also leave Brazil forever and never speak about the incident again. They started to get really pushy, but Luisa refused and threatened to call the police on these men. They then got up abruptly and left and were never seen or heard from again. Definitely men in black vibes there, but obviously not wearing black suits. Other families nearby also reported seeing a strange object in the sky before the incident and were also visited by these strange men as well and threatened to not talk about what they saw. So clearly, there seemed to be some kind of cover-up afoot. Now, the next major witness involved a member of Virginia's local military police. Shortly after the Silva sisters and their friend Katya saw this alien being, a big storm rolled through the area that lasted into the early evening. Around 7 p.m., a 23-year-old military police sergeant named Marco Cherez was on patrol with his supervisor, Eric Lopes, near the woods where something went down earlier, and two large bags were seen being brought out by the military. So they're in the middle of a downpour, and apparently one of the windows in their car was busted, and they were getting soaked, so after the rain let up, Marco went with Eric to his house to change into dry clothes. They had to get back on patrol and mention to Eric's family that they would be out working late. Now, around 8 p.m., Marco and Eric, who was driving, eventually found themselves on Benevenuto Braviera, which happens to be the same street that this creature was seen by Katia Liliana and Valkyra. Suddenly, Eric hits the brakes as he sees something dart out into the road. Marco then jumped out of the car to catch whatever had jumped out without any kind of protective equipment and came toe-to-toe with this strange red-eyed creature. He caught it with his bare hands and put this creature into the back seat of their car and wound up driving to the regional hospital because this thing seemed like it was hurt and needed some kind of medical attention. So at this point, it sounds like there's at least four of these beings. One that was caught, the one that the Silva sister saw, and then the two in the woods earlier, and now this one makes four. So it was taken to the regional hospital, and according to eyewitnesses, an entire ward of the hospital was closed off to anyone who wasn't authorized personnel once this being was brought in. It was reported that the being died a short time after arriving to the hospital, where several other staff members and members of the military witnessed and interacted with it. It was said that after catching and dropping off this creature, Marco couldn't shake the smell of ammonia in his nose, and that he felt like he had something greasy or sticky all over him, even though he didn't have anything like that on his body. It was just a feeling. And in a few short days, Marco developed this infection that didn't want to go away. 
and it progressively got worse and worse over the next couple of weeks. Oberajara Rodriguez, who was a ufologist who was closely studying this case, revealed that Marco had minor surgery to remove some kind of small abscess shortly after he handled the alien, where it may have slashed his skin around his armpit area. And despite doctors' best efforts, they couldn't apparently do anything to stop the spread of the infection. Whatever was happening looked like a complete shutdown of his immune system. And eventually, Marco came down with a high fever and severe pain all over his body. He wound up being hospitalized in the ICU on February 15th, and within a few hours, he was dead. Marco's family fought to get an autopsy done. However, the hospital basically told them that he had died from a generalized infection, benign bacteria, and pneumonia. But beyond that, they couldn't tell Marco's family what caused it other than his blood contained a percent of unknown toxic substances. The hospital ordered a closed casket service, and his body was disposed of almost immediately. It was cremated, apparently, to protect public health. It's kind of interesting. Now, another interesting part of this is that of Marco's supervisor, Eric Lopes. And this is a spoiler alert for Moment of Contact by James Fox. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. He's the filmmaker who did this really well done documentary on this whole incident. Recommend watching it if you haven't. But as it turns out, Eric Lopes had pretty much disappeared after the incident and refused to ever talk about what happened. But James and his crew managed to track this guy down. And turns out that Lopes still refuses to talk about the Virginia incident and even wound up threatening James and his film crew. So they left. I think that's pretty interesting because if nothing actually happened back then and he wasn't involved in the capturing of some alien being, why would he be so hostile and want to be left alone? Was he paid off or threatened himself if he divulged information to corroborate the stories of Marco Cherez, catching the creature and subsequently dying from exposure to it? It's hard to say. Now, there was a biologist by the name of Lila Cabra who worked at the Virginia Zoo. On the night of January 20th, she was with her children, and after the big storm passed, she decided to go over to the zoo to check on the animals over there to see if they were okay. When she arrived, the security guard told her that a group of firemen had arrived with a strange-looking animal and that they would only give it to her. She figured if it was an important matter, they would return, but ultimately, they didn't. Strangely, in the following weeks, several animals at the zoo began to die for no reason. Well, Lila had the animal remains brought in for necropsies. An examination by a nearby lab revealed that there was this unidentified toxic and caustic substance present within all of the animals, which caused a blackening of the mucosa in the animal's stomachs and digestive tract. 
they thought that it might have been something that the animals were exposed to in one area, or maybe it was common between a particular species of animal. But the problem was, was that they were all different species. There was an ocelot, a deer, a tapir, and all their pens were in very different parts of the zoo. It's like something was in the zoo going around to the different areas in it and exposing these animals or messing with them. You know, something was going on. Perhaps one of these alien beings got in there and started doing something. Now, within short order, Virginia was said to be practically overrun with military vehicles. Fire trucks and police cars were surrounding the two hospitals in the city. And word on the street was that the alien that Marco had captured was transferred to the other hospital, the regional. It was also believed that one body bag alien that was pulled out of that section of woods between those neighborhoods was there as well. And in short order, an entire wing of the hospital was locked down. No civilians were allowed in, only military personnel and some select medical staff. Now, one witness, a technician from the hospital's radiology department, stated that one of the black body bags from the woods was brought in for x-rays. He said that the whole radiology department was full of military personnel, police, doctors, all looking very apprehensive. This tech was then ordered to do some imaging on the x-ray machine, but wasn't allowed to open the bag. Before he could see the films of what was even in the bag, the military confiscated them, and he was told to keep quiet about any of this ever happening due to national security reasons. And like what many other witnesses had said, the smell of ammonia and sulfur permeated the air. This whole section of the hospital that this creature was in stunk, and no matter what was done by the cleaning staff, they just couldn't get the smell out for weeks. They just had to let it resolve on its own. And the x-ray tech said that he couldn't get the smell out of his nose for several days, which is very similar to other statements. Now, according to Dr. Roger Lear in his book, UFO Crash in Brazil, there's a quote that while hospital doctors were working on the still living alien trying to set a fracture on its femur, the situation was tense and people were basically in shock. According to the orthopedic surgeon on site, Lear was interviewing this guy who was present at the scene. He actually thought that maybe a child of some military personnel had an accident, but when they pulled back the sheet to see this thing's face, it clearly wasn't human. Military personnel and hospital staff had a look of terror in their eyes, not knowing what was going to be happening next. And nobody was saying anything. The surgeon then tried asking for more information about this creature, but any of the military personnel there 
told him that he's not allowed to ask any questions. He just needs to perform the task that he was ordered to do. So this surgeon and his team apparently accomplished fixing this being's leg and they step outside for 10 minutes and out of nowhere, the surgical theater started filling with this green mist and nobody knew what was going on. Was it toxic? Is it just some kind of gas or vapor? Well, the surgeon was told to go in and figure it out. And that's when he could see that this mist, whatever it was, was apparently emanating from the being on the operating table. The alien being then started to become more animated and turned its head towards the orthopedic surgeon and locked eyes with him. The surgeon remembered its eyes looking like intense red swirling liquid, and then he started to get pummeled in his mind with all of this information. The being was giving this surgeon a rapid-fire telepathic download, which caused him to have terrible headaches for weeks following the incident. But the most interesting thing is that it communicated to him, and the only thing this surgeon was willing to share about the download was that its race feels very sorry for humans, and that we don't even know what we are or the potential we have, meaning that we are spiritual beings and our bodies are merely a vessel or shell for our higher selves, and that we can also achieve the technology they have. Which is interesting, and if you follow ufology and stories about alien encounters, it's not exactly a new idea. But I digress. Now, all the nurses, doctors, and hospital staff that were involved in that part of the hospital that day, there was close to 50 of them, were all given NDAs by the military to not talk about any of this, or they would face massive fines and or jail time. Their official word was that the whole thing was just a training exercise. During a press conference with the military, one of the generals, General Lima, the commanding officer of ASA, explained this and basically said that they have nothing to hide. And when pressed by reporters to divulge what really happened on January 20th, General Lima responded saying that they were serving the army and the nation of Brazil that day, and they don't have to prove anything to anyone. And just as soon as the military entourage arrived in Virginia, they were gone. According to eyewitnesses from there, the beings were apparently transferred to the State University of Campinas and quarantined. Unsurprisingly, any requests or confirmation from the University of Campinas have been repeatedly denied over the years. Now, nobody spoke about what happened at the hospital, really, until 2021, a whole 25 years after the incident. And it was this soldier who came forward. His true identity remains anonymous and goes by the alias Military X who was interviewed in Moment of Contact. Now, this guy claimed that he was in a convoy 
that brought one of the aliens from the regional hospital to Asa, the nearby military base. He described seeing it laid up in a box. It looked like it was around four to five feet tall with dark red to brown oily skin. He could see its feet, which only had three toes. And when they arrived to the base, Military X and another soldier were called into General Lima's office as he was the commanding officer of the base. Lima asked what they saw, but he wasn't quite sure how to answer. And when he thought what he saw was a burn victim in this box that was being carried by the convoy. But Lima told him that what he really saw was not something of this world and that if he shares this information with anyone, there would be dire consequences. The following day, the ASA base was full of all sorts of new personnel, vehicles and helicopters from the Brazilian Navy, which was not a normal occurrence. Something was happening. And shortly after, Military X was ordered to rejoin the convoy carrying this creature that was still living. And from there, they were to head to the army base in Campinas, some four hours southwest, closer to Sao Paulo. And from there, Military X was no longer required. And that was the last he saw of the alien in the box. Now, there was another witness who has given a clue as to what may have happened to the aliens. A man named Jose Manuel Hernandez was an air traffic controller at the army base in Campinas back in 1996. And he remembered some unusual activity between the base and Virginia. Just a couple days after the incident, he explained that two helicopters had left the base for Virginia and returned promptly. He was unsure as to what it was all about, but that it had seemed like some kind of emergency rescue mission. And then, more interestingly, a large plane was coming into the local airspace. It was military, but it wasn't Brazilian, and it didn't have authorization to land. Jose was ordered by his supervisors to let it land anyway. And after it landed, Jose started to observe this airplane sitting on the tarmac and saw a couple of small wooden boxes being loaded into it. Shortly after, all of the military personnel hopped back on and the plane took off. And when he asked about the situation, which he had never experienced something like that before, Jose was told that it was a secret military mission and that he doesn't have a need to know, and that was the end of it. But where did this plane come from? Well, you see, Jose saw the plane and any registry numbers and identifying marks, and one of them stood out, USAF, United States Air Force. So it would seem that the beings were taken off the hands of the Brazilians by the Americans. And who knows if they're still in cold storage somewhere all these years later. Now, another interesting thing is that a UFO investigator named Vittorio Pacaccini came forward a couple years back claiming that he was shown a 35-second clip of one of these creatures that was filmed. 
along with photos taken by a military whistleblower. And if legit and that footage was released, it could definitely put this case to rest once and for all. Incidentally, over on Reddit recently, somebody did post a video of one of the alleged Virginia aliens that was filmed in some wooded area, though my guess is it is likely just a puppet, probably a fake. But this story made global headlines and really put Virginia on the map. And you can't say it hasn't helped the city. It's increased tourism to it immensely. One of the water towers in the city is shaped like a flying saucer. And even bus stops around the city are made to look like UFOs. You can also find no shortage of street vendors selling alien merch, especially in the location where the Silva sisters claim to have seen one of the beings. This is, after all, Brazil's Roswell, and one of the best documented and biggest UFO and alien cases the world has ever seen. But despite all of the witness testimony, the government of Brazil denies that it was ever in possession of aliens or craft and has nothing to hide. And so here's where I'm going to go over the skeptical point of view for this case. There's been a lot that has been called into question about the Virginia incident. Most, of course, think that the whole thing is a nothing burger. There's no physical evidence available of a crashed UFO. There's no available alien bodies. Witness testimony can't always be reliable. People can lie and make things up or their memories are unreliable. They can add things in, new details over the years that didn't actually happen. Skeptics believe that the whole case was not a thing until UFO researchers caught wind of the story and conflated it to these huge proportions, despite it already being heavily reported in Brazil and the whole world. So I'm not sure that adds up. They take the Brazilian military's explanation that they were performing routine exercises at face value. Nothing unusual happened and that witnesses who came forward were simply doing it for their own benefit, their own 15 minutes of fame and to get paid. And most witnesses who have come forward have apparently wanted to remain anonymous. So that's interesting. It seems that skeptics turn a blind eye to a lot of the witness testimony and claims, which sure you can do that, I guess. But if you have a narrative you want to follow, but consider a witness like Eric Lopes, who was Marco Cherez's partner, a man who could confirm that he witnessed Marco capturing an alien being and bringing it to the hospital. This guy who has refused to talk for over 25 years, probably for fear of severe consequences from the government and who even threatened to basically shoot James Fox and his documentary film crew if they didn't leave his house. And speaking of moment of contact, James Fox interviewed Carlos de Souza and even had him bring James and his crew to the alleged crash site. And he gets very emotional remembering the event and breaks down in tears. 
Now, either he's a really good actor or this was a genuine human response because of something that actually happened, which profoundly affected his life. And there's also the point about Marco Cherez, where it's claimed that he wasn't actually on duty the night of January 20th. So there's no way he could have been out there to nab some alien creature and then die from exposure to it weeks later. Marco did pass away, but according to the official sources, his doctors knew he had an abscess under one of his armpits that was surgically removed and then got abnormally infected with antibiotic-resistant staph, where he got sepsis and that's how he died, even though Marco apparently had a normally functioning immune response. Whatever this staph was seemed to be uncharacteristically aggressive. But it's interesting because the official death certificate was denied to his family for months. And the fact that the military cremated him so fast seems a little suspicious. And furthermore, the pathologist who examined Marco's case, Dr. Joao Giannini, believed that whatever the bacteria was that infected him wasn't one that was from their area. And that there was what he called a second character involved or the ET that had bacteria under its nails, which it had scratched Marco with. Dr. Giannini, during an interview in 2023, also mentioned that while he wasn't present for the autopsy of Marco, the report had been conveniently lost. So that's all pretty interesting. It doesn't necessarily prove that there was alien contact at all or that exposure to an ET was what led to Marco's death, but looking at it in this context is pretty curious. Now, according to Brazilian authorities, they claimed that the alleged aliens that were seen in the hospital weren't aliens at all. Their explanation is that it was actually people were seeing an expectant couple with dwarfism who had gone in to deliver a baby, which I suppose could happen. But that seems like such a cop-out explanation and more like part of the cover-up, right? And then to further debunk the case, the Brazilian military, after investigating the Silva sisters' claims, concluded that what they actually saw wasn't an alien with three bumpy protrusions on its head and large red eyes and brown oily skin. It wasn't that, no. They saw a homeless man covered in mud from the rainstorm, which hadn't happened yet. His name was Luis Antonio de Paula, but everyone in town called him Mudinho. Mudinho was mentally and physically disabled and would spend much of his day crouching and squatting low to the ground. Comparing a picture of Mudinho and artist renditions to the Virginia aliens do seem a bit similar, and I'll link some pictures in the show notes for you to check out. And as it turns out, his shelter was at the location where the Silva sisters claim they saw the alien. But everyone in the area was familiar with who this guy was, and surely Valkyria, Liliana, and Katya would have recognized him and not thought that he was a demon or an alien. And that's also another point that some highlight is that they initially 
thought and told their mother, Louisa, that they saw the devil. It was only later that they started claiming it was an alien, maybe based on what other people were piggybacking on as far as the story goes. But to that I say, how would these teenage girls know? Brazil is a deeply religious country, and if you see some freaky-looking humanoid creature, your first thought is probably going to be demon or devil. I mean, there are many, many people who believe that UFOs are aliens or demons, so there's that. And then there was also, in the mid-90s, a craze about El Chupacabra, which had blown up in Puerto Rico and other Latin American countries at the time, Brazil included. And some initially thought that the creature that the Silva sisters and others saw may have been a chupacabra. And in the wake of this whole thing, the legacy of it has certainly increased tourism to Virginia and also inspired books, TV shows, documentaries, numerous investigations, and even video games all about it. And although it's been close to 30 years since the incident, it still remains a hotly debated case in ufology. Did it happen, or was it all mass hysteria and sensationalism based on complete, normal, and routine things? Or did something truly otherworldly happen? The truth, they say, is out there. And that, my friends, is where I'm going to leave things for the regular show today. The Virginia case is definitely one of the more interesting UFO and alien cases out there. Definitely one of the more interesting ones that I've researched. Maybe nothing really happened back in 1996, but with so many people giving testimony and all of the strange happenings that went down, I have to think that something extraordinary was experienced by many people back then. I suppose time will tell. As always, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone out there listening to the show. Those of you who have been here since the beginning and those who have joined along the way. And also welcome to new listeners. And thanks for checking out the show, listening and sharing it around. It really helps out so much. In fact, the Strangeology podcast wouldn't be possible or wouldn't be where it is today without the support of listeners like you. There's a lot more to come, so make sure you stick around. And if you're looking for another way to support the Strangeology podcast beyond just the Patreon, you can check out my Etsy shop. I do all of my own designs and I've got a whole assortment of cryptid, alien, and otherwise Fortean gear and accessories available on items like t-shirts, hoodies, long sleeves, tank tops. I've also got stickers, magnets, prints, mugs, tumblers, blankets, enamel pins, and more. I try to add new designs as often as I can and look into new types of items for my merch as well. We try to keep it fun. You can find all of this at strangeology.etsy.com. Again, that's strangeology.etsy.com. Check it out. You'll love it, and I appreciate the support. To any advertisers or companies out there looking to collaborate with the Strangeology podcast or would like to be considered for an interview on the show, please send all business inquiries to info at strangeology.com. 
And don't forget to give me a follow over on all of my social media accounts for daily updates and more content outside of the podcast. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, X, and Threads. I'm most active posting short form video content on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So if you're looking for more from me, definitely check that out. We have a lot of fun over on social media, so you definitely won't want to miss it. All right, I think that's about all for me for now. I'm going to take a short break here, and when I come back for Strangeology Beyond, the members-only portion of the show, I'm going to be looking into another UFO case in Brazil. It's a terrifying one called the Calaris Island Incident. You won't want to miss it. Members, stick with me after this short break for Strangeology Beyond. And for everyone else, I'll catch you next season. And as I always say, make sure to take care of yourselves and each other and keep it strange. Welcome back to Strangeology Beyond. I hope 